Our lesson this morning comes from the 17th chapter of the book of Acts, the 20, starting in the 22nd verse and reading through the 31st verse. Hear these words. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made with human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth. And he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the place where they should live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him. Though indeed he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring." Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to us all by raising him from the dead. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. I remember back in the day, I remember back in the day where you would go to a grocery store and the clerk would check out every item. It wasn't scanned. They were poking on this big cash register every item took for ever but in the same time frame there was this thing at a bank called a teller and you went inside the bank and you stood before the teller and you had a request and the teller would fulfill your request there were people everywhere you go to the gas station pull up in the gas station and people will run to your car fill it up yes Regular or Ethel? Some of you don't know who Ethel is. We used to put her in the gas tanks. Our houses had locks on the doors. We never used them. Our cars had locks on the doors. We never used them. I went to school at a time where two years, I remember, the Gideons came to our public school. Oh! In the third grade, I received from the Gideons a New Testament, pocket-sized New Testament that also had the book of Psalms. In the sixth grade, the Gideons came back and they gave the sixth graders the whole Bible, Old and New Testament. We pledged allegiance every morning. We said prayers every morning. In the fifth grade, 
My teacher is Mrs. Francis Disaker, and Mrs. Disaker required of us as a class to learn and memorize and recite to the class the first psalm, the 23rd psalm, and the 100th psalm. Can you even imagine that today? My theology, what I first learned about Jesus, came from a song. Jesus loves me, this I know. What? For the Bible tells me so. There was no contradiction. There was no, you got to put a little society in the Bible. There was no Jesus misunderstood the social context. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Almost every boy in high school had a knife in his pocket. One or two actually had switchblades. And we knew that because they were usually the guys that had holes right here where they'd been, had their hand in the pocket and set the switchblade off and it proceeded to cut through the denim. We took guns to church, to church. Well, we took guns to church. We took guns to school. They were in our trucks on the rifle racks. Nobody brought them in. Nobody would be that, that can't say it. We went out to play. If your mother was punishing you, you had to stay inside. We didn't have video games. There were cypress trees that ran along the the back of our fence area, and those were our spaceships. And I think about those trees, and we would climb up in the top of those trees. You know what we're running through the top of those trees? Power lines. We're all still here because we didn't go, what's this? I grew up in a different time, in a different way, and I grew up. When church was different. In 1967, 1968, a professor at the Candler School of Theology at Emory University wrote in an article that God is dead. And that was all the catalyst we needed. Even in the church. Because if God is dead, we better start looking. And that's one of the things that's happened to us as a culture. Rather than dwelling, dwelling with God. Letting God become our dwelling place. As the psalmist said, the righteous are like trees planted by the streams of water which yield their fruit in season and their leaves do not wither. In all they do, they prosper. They are like a tree planted by streams of water. And in our culture, what are we I'm just searching for God. And we got all kinds of ways to search for God. We got crystals. You can get a crystal. You can get a Bible study. You can go to a retreat. You can get an app. You can get a life-changing app. And people walk, Brother Doug, I got this life-changing app. It's going to draw me closer to Jesus. Uh-huh. I see how close you're getting to Jesus. All I see you doing is this. Look up. Look up occasionally. That's where he is. We've gone nuts. 
Nuts. Right now, in Lincoln Parish, which is the center of the buckle of the Bible Belt, Lincoln Parish, the center of the buckle of... You can't get more Christian than Lincoln Parish. Except I walked in Super 1 for the first time yesterday, and I went, my gosh, double-sided liquor row. I I was looking for Gatorade, and I couldn't find it. Lincoln Parish, center of the Bible Belt. We're all Christians here. 19% of the people who claim they're Christians, 19% of the people who claim they're Christians will be in church today. That leaves 81% of the people who claim they're Christians. I'm not talking about the people who are not. Who claim they're Christians doing something else. And let's talk about people who are not in this culture that this has been raised in God-blessed America. The largest group by population in America today are called the nuns. Not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. None. We have no religious faith. They constitute about 25% of the population. There are two other groups that have popped up since COVID. They're called the Duns and the Gones. They're done with church and they're gone and they're not coming back. The Nuns, the Duns, and the Gones. That's what our culture has created. That's what David Zahn in a book called Seculosity. And Seculosity, the thesis of the book is that we decided we couldn't get rid of religion We couldn't get rid of Christianity, whoever they is, they is or are. They just secularized it. They just, they brought all the stuff out into the world, into the church. And the church says, well, we just, we want to be like the world. We want everybody to come to us. So, so rather than dwelling in God's presence, we're going to seek God. And rather than standing on the promises, we're just going to go on a spiritual journey. And we're going to look for Jesus. And what they found and what they are finding is not the same, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. They are finding a religion that's all messed up. It's sort of like the Athenians that Paul dealt with. There it is. For all you who survived a course in high school or college or grad school on Western civilization, where is the center of Western civilization? Athens. It's all right there. Who? Who's hanging out in Athens? The Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans, they think that we ought to get rid of all this folk religion. They think the, the only reason you need to live is for pleasure and fun. And who are the Stoics? The Stoics are the Cynics. They just want you to be good in terms of the civil justice system, in terms of being a good citizen, but you don't need any of this religious stuff. And Paul said, I was walking around and you got a temple to everything. Man, they're all here. You remember that mythology, ninth grade mythology? Mm -hmm. Yes, you took classes and you know all the gods and goddesses. They've all got temples. You can't get more any more religious than Athens. And Paul goes right in the middle of them. He is right in the middle of them. 
proclaiming Jesus. Wow. How brave he was and how insightful his proclamation can be for us as we deal with our culture and the church that's become, unfortunately, a part of culture. In the 1890s, if you read anything written in that time, they don't talk about personality. All they talk about is character. And the words used to describe character are citizenship, duty, democracy, work, building, good golden deeds, outdoor life, conquest, honor, reputation, morals, manners, and integrity. And it's out of character that morality and virtue are formed and grow and are put in place. In other words, your morality and your virtue comes out of the essence of your personhood and they they don't change. They stay the same. But starting in the 1890s, early part of the 20th century, Authors and society shifted from character to personality. And the adjectives most commonly used to describe personality become fascinating, stunning, attractive, magnetic, glowing, masterful, creative, dominant, and forceful. Character is not stunning, fascinated, or creative. Character is either good or bad. Personality can be attractive, forceful, or magnetic. And what happened is attention shifted from moral virtues which needed to be cultivated to an image which needed to be fashioned. It was a shift away from morality and a shift to trying to make ourselves more appealing to one another. And we have built a whole culture around the idea of being enough. Being enough. This afternoon, is Wimbledon Men's Championship this afternoon or has it already happened? When you're watching Wimbledon this afternoon? Oh, you're looking. Who's ahead? All the ads are about you being enough. And that's what we want. We want to be good enough. We want to be rich enough. We want to be good looking enough. We want to be smart enough. We want to have enough of a resume so we can get the next job. And we live in a culture that teaches us we're not enough. And so we struggle with being enough. Why do we do that? Because we need to create a personality that's fascinating, stunning, attractive, magnetic, glowing, masterful, creative, dominant, and forceful. And we're not enough. So just like the Athenians have a pantheon of their deities, modern culture has created its own pantheon of deities. We have our own deities. We don't have Zeus and Hera and Mercury. We have the god or goddess of busyness. 
And busyness serves double duty, allowing us to feel like we're advancing on the path of life while distracting us from other unpleasant realities like doubt and uncertainty and death. Ask somebody how they are and they respond almost liturgically, I'm busy, very busy. We have the goddess of romance. The love partner becomes the divine ideal with which to fulfill one's life and all spiritual and moral needs become focused on one individual. Aphrodite is alive and well in American culture. There is the God of parenting and the rise of helicopter parents who just hover over their children, making sure they get enough, making sure they're on the right team, making sure they're in the right school, making sure they're getting the right grades, making sure the teacher or professor is not correcting their sweet little selves. They are engineering a future for their children so their children can be enough. Food in our culture has become a deity. What do we say? You are what you eat. If that is true, I'm a whopper with french fries. Technology. Technology, let us speak in glowing, silent terms of holy technology. And computers never get it wrong. You heard last week, three or four hottest days in world history. The world is ablaze with heat, right? Do you know what the average global temperature was last week? 57 degrees. Do you know why we had the four hottest days in the history? Was it temperature? No. Computer modeling. And I'll tell you where the mistake was. It's called an anomaly when a computer does it. Right north of Antarctica, it looked like a Cajun shrimp boil. There was this big red area that the computer said, oh, that must be really hot. And so they created a shrimp boil right above Antarctica, and it threw all the models off, but you're not going to hear everybody saying, we made a mistake last week when we were trying to scare you because we worship technology. We have another God called politics. Uh Uh-oh. I want to suggest to you that moral outrage fulfills a psychological need. It allows a person to feel like they matter when they're afraid they don't. Enough. We want to be enough. And we fashioned church where we don't talk about sacrifice, we talk about self-esteem. We don't talk about morality and virtue. We talk about being affirmed. And Paul walked right into the same arguments in the same culture and he said, look, 
You are so religious, you've got a temple or an altar to the unknown God. And I want to tell you something. There is a God, and the God is known. He is the creator of everything in it. He created heaven and earth, and everything in it is his. He created it. He sustains it since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. God created. God sustains life. God even has a plan. He allotted times for people's existence and their boundaries he said where they would live. And God is judge. That at the end of all this, we're going to be judged. How are we going to be judged? What did we do with our childhood? You're a child of God. Paul said it. If children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. We are children of God. What are we doing with that? We don't have to worry about being enough because God has made us heirs. God has said, you are my daughters. You are my sons. I love you. You can't get any more than that. Jesus, who promised us that we would have life and have it abundantly. What more can we need? What more can we want? We have it all. And our calling is to proclaim to our world, you are enough in Christ Jesus. You are enough. You don't have to strive after all this stuff. You don't have to run down all these rabbit trails. You don't have to busy yourself with romance, parenting, food, technology, and politics. You're enough. And we need to dwell in the presence of God. Quit chasing after him because he's already come down to us. And share our story with our world. My thesis is the 81% would come back if they could hear you tell your story. Not me, you. I'm like a hired gun. When a preacher says it, I'm supposed to say it. When you say it, it has integrity. People believe it. So what if they hear you talk about what Jesus has done for you? What if they hear you talk about how in Christ Jesus you are enough? What if they hear you tell a story of discovering the transforming, redeeming power of Jesus Christ? My idea is that we might change the minds of the nuns, the gongs, and the duns. And we might, through the power of the Holy Spirit, start to call them brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.